was steeped to be able to make herself out again as agreeable to see. She stared into the tarnished glass, too hard indeed to be staring at her beauty alone. She readjusted the poise of her black, closely feathered hat, retouched beneath it the thick fall of her dusky hair, kept her eyes aslant no less on her beautiful averted than on her beautiful presented oval. She was dressed altogether in black, which gave an even tone, by contrast, to her clear face, and made her hair more harmoniously dark. Outside, on the balcony, her eyes showed as blue. Within, at the mirror, they showed almost as black. She was handsome, but the degree of it was not sustained by items and aids, a circumstance, moreover, playing its part at almost any time in the impression she produced. The impression was one that remained, but as regards the sources of it, no sum in addition would have made up the total. She had stature without height, grace without motion, presence without mass. Slender and simple, frequently soundless, she was somehow always in the line of the eye, she counted singularly for its pleasure. More dressed, often with fewer accessories than other women, or less dressed, should occasion require, with more, she probably couldn't have given the key to these felicities. They were mysteries of which her friends were conscious, those friends whose general explanation was to say that she was clever, whether or not it were taken by the world as the cause or as the effect of her charm. If she saw more things than her fine face in the dull glass of her father's lodgings, she might have seen that, after all, she was not herself a fact in the collapse. She didn't hold herself cheap. She didn't make for misery. Personally, no, she wasn't chalk-marked for auction. She hadn't given up yet, and the broken sentence, if she was the last word, would end with a sort of meaning. There was a minute during which, though her eyes were fixed, she quite visibly lost herself in the thought of the way she might still pull things round had she only been a man. It was the name, above all, she would take in hand, the precious name she so liked, and that, in spite of the harm her wretched father had done it, wasn't yet past praying for. She loved it, in fact, the more tenderly for that bleeding wound but what could a penniless girl do with it but let it go? When her father at last appeared, she became, as usual, instantly aware of the futility of any effort to hold him to anything. He had written her he was ill, too ill to leave his room, and that he must see her without delay— and if this had been, as was probable, the sketch of a design— he was indifferent even to the moderate finish required for deception. He had clearly wanted, for the perversities he called his reasons, to see her, just as she herself had sharpened for a talk. But she now again felt, in the inevitability of the freedom he used with her, all the old ache, her poor mother's very own, that he couldn't touch you ever so lightly without setting up. 
No relation with him could be so short or so superficial as not to be somehow to your hurt. And this, in the strangest way in the world, not because he desired it to be, feeling often, as he surely must, the profit for him of its not being, but because there was never a mistake for you that he could leave unmade, nor a conviction of his impossibility in you that he could approach you without strengthening. He might have awaited her on the sofa in his sitting-room, or might have stayed in bed and received her in that situation. She was glad to be spared the sight of such penetralia, but it would have reminded her a little less that there was no truth in him. This was the weariness of every fresh meeting. He dealt out lies as he might the cards from the greasy old pack for the game of diplomacy to which you were to sit down with him. The inconvenience, as always happens in such cases, was not that you minded what...